Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to Branching Out, an upbeat, friend-building, Christian-uniting ministry. We discuss issues in our Christian faith, we chat about our lives, do a devotional, offer prayers and praise that you share with us. So never be alone. Join us. You can reach us at our website, which is branchliving.com, or through Facebook at Branch Living, and there we have an international community, and it would be a privilege to have you join us. There you can comment, post photos, prayer requests, praise reports. So join us on Facebook at Branch Living. You can also email your prayer requests and praise reports to me at lisa at branchliving.com. And Branch Living is all one word. We try to podcast two times each week. We share a prayer to open our time together. And then the heart of our podcast is our Branch Living message. We chat about issues in our lives. Sometimes we bring in Christian news, views, and events. We often have a brief devotional. And then we end with your comments, your prayers, and your praise reports. So join us and spread the word. We'd love you to uh, spread the word with your friends and family. And now uh, let's just take a moment and center ourselves in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity once again to take some time from our busy days and come together as a Christian family and hear your word and hear what you have to say to each of us individually and to us as a group. We thank you for this day. We thank you for giving us the gift of life and for giving us the gift of each other. We pray this in your name. Amen. So today as part of Branch Living, we are on alms or giving. And you know, I think we are all guilty at some point of not giving um, because we often think we don't have enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough energy. And I've been guilty of this myself. But what I find is that I never regret giving. I always regret having not given. I've blogged before about the need to make giving easy, and we talked about this on the podcast too, like carrying gift cards in your wallet. But what I also learned from an article I recently read is the importance of not worrying about the size of the gift. Think instead about just giving. So the story I I read is called Love Your Neighbor, An Inspiring Story of Two Friends. And it was by Frank Fredericks and published in the Huffington Post. The author is a Christian who was living outside of Portland, Oregon and moved to New York City. He notes that when he lived in Oregon, he would have to walk a mile in any direction to find someone he didn't know. But in New York City, Frank said, my city, my neighborhood and block are filled with people who don't know me, don't care to know me, don't look like me, don't talk like me, smell like me, think like me, or ha- and have no desire to change that fact. He adds that he literally does not know his neighbors. It's pretty hard to love people you don't even know. And sometimes we all, myself included, use that as an excuse to not even try. Frank goes on to tell the story of Brendan, a rising DJ in New York, who was coming home to his Brooklyn apartment when a homeless woman asked him for money. He told her honestly he had no money. But by by the end of the week, this same woman had asked him twice more for money, and each time he told her no. 
She told him that he really better not have any money because each time that's what he told her. The conversation was awkward, so Brendan told her that he was on his way to a job interview and if he got the job, he would take her for Chinese food. Frank pauses here and says, this promise yielded a friendship that neither were prepared for and that changed the trajectory of their lives, both, for, both toward each other. Brendan got the job and he was good to his word. They went out for Chinese food. Frank states, they built a friendship of mutual support, spending their birthdays, holidays, and tough times together over a period of eight years. When Brendan's heater broke, she made him a blanket. Two days later, when he told her he lost his job, she brought him groceries, and she continued to do so throughout the winter. Even with so little, she never hesitated to give back. Jackie, the homeless woman, over this eight-year period, moved from the streets and subway stations into a halfway house, into a YMCA, and is now moving into an apartment. Brendan wanted to celebrate this moment with Jackie, so he went to a store and helped her pick out what she needed for the apartment and then started a registry for her. He put together a video describing their friendship and this woman's needs, and he set up a campaign to raise money, hoping to raise $500. He raised $6,000. Frank ends by saying that Brendan's story reminds him of the challenge we each face to step out of our comfort zones and to find new ways to honor, serve, and love people around us. Another story I wanted to share with you, Eric Metaxas in a 2017 article for the Christian Post notes that over two decades ago, Robert Putnam's groundbreaking book, Bowling Alone, warned us of the alarming trend in, America, in Americans becoming isolated from one another and how time-honored social institutions in our communities, like the PTA, have been devastated. Metaxas noted that Chuck Colson said this trend was in part a result of our relentless pursuit of what political scientist Michael Sandel calls the unencumbered self. Mind you, this was before we all retreated to our cell phones and our computer screens. Metaxas reports that according to the General Social Survey, only about 20% of Americans spend time regularly with their neighbors, while a third say they have never interacted with them. Just four decades ago, however, one third of Americans hung out with neighbors at least two times a week, and only a fourth reported no interaction. Metaxas poses the question, how do we Christians overcome this growing cultural tide of isolation and obey our calling to be witnesses to Jesus Christ? He goes on to support one creative solution. He points to an article written by Ed Stetzer for Christianity Today. Ed tells how he moved from Nashville to Wheaton, Illinois, often called the Evangelical Mecca, and received a four-page letter from some longtime residents who lived across the street. The letter, titled, In Our Humble Opinion, starts off by saying, I know you are going to find it to be a wonderful community to live in, 
but it can be a little daunting at first. I moved into the brick house across the street from you when I was 12, and now we have lived in the cream house next door to that house for 23 years. I guess we like it here. The neighbor proceeded to share tips for living in Wheaton, including best places for pizza, the best chocolate, the best popcorn, a covered alley between two stores on Front Street, the best movie theater, the best grocery store, and the best donuts. The neighbor then closed the list tongue in cheek with the best church and tells Ed and his family that they are most welcome. Ed consulted this list regularly. Ed said that the list made his family know that someone was glad they were here, took time to welcome them and care, and invited them to church. Metaxas concludes we don't e that we don't each need to type a four-page letter to our neighbors to establish a friendship and invite them to church. But the point is we need to actually be a neighbor, to step away from our natural tendencies to isolate ourselves or to just hang out with people we know and maybe extend a hand of help and friendship to those around us. You know, I was thinking about this and recently my husband experienced this firsthand. So my husband has this old Riviera that he absolutely cherishes. And one sunny but very cold day, he took it out for a drive. The gas tank in this old Riviera has a leak and so it only holds a certain amount of gas and the gas gauge is not accurate. So you guessed it, he ran out of gas on the exit ramp into town. So my husband told me on this frigid day, he left the car and proceeded to walk into town when a very nice woman pulled over, put on her face mask and offered to take him to the house to get his gas can to the gas station for gas and then back to his car. And you know, she didn't have to do this. She could have driven off, but she didn't. And my husband and I are both very thankful. So it makes you just wonder how can we each be better neighbors? What small gestures on our part can make our neighbors realize that someone really cares about them? I will leave you with another example. Recently, my hairdresser called a local nursing home. She imagined that the nursing home residents who've been confined there during the pandemic would love to see children playing. She asked the director if she and her boys could go to the nursing home and build a snowman in front so that the residents could enjoy watching the boys have fun, and so the snowman could bring them happiness after the family left. She did that and the photos were posted on Facebook, so the whole community here got to join in on the fun. And what a great gesture that was, and what a good neighbor she was to the residents of those nursing homes. So today I just give you this wonderful invitation to stop, to think, and to act. How can you be a good neighbor? Um, so on that note, I'm going to go to Christian News briefly and talk a little bit about something disturbing. So that was my warm part of today. And today I'm going to talk about something that's very concerning and something that we should each take to heart. Um, and that is out of the Christian Post and it is for 2020. 
And it shows now that a public trust in American clergy remained at new record lows in 2020. And this is a survey that was released by Gallup. So Lifeway Research, a publication arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, analyzed the findings of Gallup's rating of honesty and ethical standards of profession. And they've done this since 1985. So this most recent installment was released on December 22nd, 2020. And one of the groups that, respond, that respondents are asked to rate in terms of their honesty and their ethical standards are clergy. So in 2020, only 39% of Americans agreed that their religious leaders had high or very high honesty and ethical standards. And while that figure is slightly above the record low of 37% reached in 2018, trust in clergy has decreased considerably from the record high it achieved more than 30 years earlier. Um, so it goes on, if you would read this, you can find this online. Again, it's in the Christian Post, but it talks about how, uh, what could have contributed to this. And some of it, of course, was the um, you know, widely spread publication of the abuse by priests of um, young men in the, so the sexual abuse of the, in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but that was just one group of professionals now in, in the, the Catholic Church that was in this survey. It was really all clergy. Um, so clergy had enjoyed the confidence of the majority of American public for better of 30 years and that the trust in clergy reached a record high of 67% of Americans believing religious leaders had high honesty and ethical standards in 1988. But as you can see, that continues to slide. Um, so while only 39% of Americans agreed that the clergy had high levels of honesty and ethical standards, there were several groups that were pegged as less honest than priests and pastors. Nursing home operators, 36%, bankers, 29%, journalists, 28%, lawyers, 21%, business executives, 17%, advertising practitioners, 10%, car salespeople, 8%, and members of Congress, 8%. Meanwhile, more Americans saw nurses, 89%, medical doctors, 77%, grade school teachers, 75%, pharmacists, 75%, police officers, 52%, and judges, 39%, as having higher honesty and ethical standards than members of the clergy. And so they think then that the public rated medical professionals so high because of all of the concerns of the coronavirus and obviously the time and dedication that those two groups have shown during the pandemic. While only 39% of American public as a whole thought that members of the clergy had high honesty and ethical standards, that number rose to 54% among Republicans. 38% of Democrats believed that clergy had high honesty and ethical standards, while only 32% of independents said the same. And so the trend is mirrored when categorizing the survey results based on ideology. 48% of conservatives, 41% of moderates, 27% of liberals believe that the clergy has high honesty and ethical standards. 36% of males thought that clergy had high um, honesty and ethical standards compared to 43% in 
and Gallup says that that gender gap could be a result of the fact that the victims of sexual abuse at the hand of the clergy were primarily males. A higher percentage of non-white Americans, 49% than whites, 43, viewed the clergy as having high honesty and ethical standards. But here's what is very alarming. Just 24% of those between ages 18 and 34 believe that clergy possess high honesty and ethical standards, while 41% of those ages 35 and 54 thought the same, and a majority, 51%, of those over the age of 55 thought that clergy had high honesty and ethical standards. So obviously the younger generation, uh, 24%, does not have a very favorable view of the honesty or ethical standards of clergy. And it's something, you know, as a church that we really have to focus on because uh, who is going to go to our church if they think that the leaders of our church are not ethical and honest people? I don't know what the solution to that is, but clearly um, we need to get these men and women of God out in front of the public and really need to have um, those leaders uh, seen in a much more favorable light. Hard oftentimes when it is the bad stories that get all of the attention and the good stories just don't get heard. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a lesson for the church that we really do need to look at. I'm going to conclude our time with a devotion from Spurgeon today and then move to prayer. And so our uh, lesson today comes from Ephesians 18 and the Bible verse is praying always. What multitude of prayers we have put up from the moment we first learned to pray. Our first prayer was a prayer for ourselves. We asked that God would have mercy upon us and blot out our sin and he heard us. But when he blotted out our sin like a cloud, we then had more prayers for ourselves. We have had to pray for sanctifying grace, for constraining and restraining grace. We have been led to crave a fresh assurance of faith for the comfortable application of the promise, for deliverance in the hour of temptation, and for help in the time of duty, and for succor in the time of trial. We've been compelled to go to God for our souls as constant beggars asking for everything. Bear witness, children of God, you have never been able to get anything for your souls elsewhere. All the bread your soul has eaten has come down from heaven, and all the water of which it has drank has flowed from the living rock, Christ Jesus the Lord. Your soul has never grown rich itself. It has always been a pensioner upon the daily bounty of God. And hence your prayers have ascended to heaven for a range of spiritual mercies, all but infinite. Your wants were innumerable, and therefore the supplies have been infinitely great, and your prayers have been as varied as the mercies have been countless. Then have you not caused to say, I love the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication? For as your prayers have been many, so also have God's answers to them. He has heard you in the day of trouble. He has strengthened you and helped you, even when you dishonored him by trembling and doubting at the mercy seat. Remember this and let it fill your heart with gratitude to God, who has thus graciously heard your poor, weak prayers. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits.
Amen. That is a good lesson for us today that we can't even count the number of prayers we as Christians have sent up to God and the answers he's given us. And, you know, the thing I always appreciate are, you know, the prayers that we pray and even those that we don't pray. So oftentimes when we get in the car, we don't remember to pray for safety and yet we come home safely. And so God takes care of us and knows our needs even when they are unspoken. And you can't count the number of times he's protected us. So amen today to Spurgeon. So I'll conclude our time now with prayer. And um, just want to, again, tell you that you can send your prayer and praise reports to me at lisa at branchliving.com. You can also put them on the Facebook page or you can message them to me. Most of the prayer requests I've heard today, um, and particularly within my own community, have been, and I won't say today, I'd say this week, have been uh, just prayers for strength for people. People are starting to wear thin um, as the winter months here in the upper Midwest grow grow pretty long and um, the days are getting longer, but it's a slow walk to long days. and um, the pandemic is growing on and on. And um, although we can see a light at the end of the tunnel, I think that we're seeing some weariness in people. And so just prayers for everybody to see that this too will come to an end. I know at um, the hospital I work at, we gave out uh, over 450 vaccines last weekend, and that was probably the happiest day I have had in my long career at hospitals. So it is coming, friends. It is on the horizon, and so we just need to hang tough. It's been a long year, but um, 2021 should end much better than it began and much better than most of 2020 for many people. So let's go before God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And again, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for every day. We lift up the concerns of everyone, those spoken and unspoken. And we ask you to give strength to the people for, uh, to get through this pandemic, strength of mind, strength of heart, and strength of spirit. And to see that um, just as the sun rises gradually and then suddenly it's a bright day, that this pandemic is waning and is going to come to an end. Normal days will return and we just have to hang tough. We have to, as the Bible tells us over and over again, through lessons in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we must endure. Enduring is part of being a good Christian. And we endure with a joyful attitude, we endure with hope, and we endure with faith. And we do not uh, look at the water because the water, when we look down, can make us sink. We keep our eyes on you. And that is how we endure. We pray this in your name. Amen. So just a quick reminder that we do do Bible study Tuesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. And if you would like an invitation to that, just to even come and try it out, to spend one evening with us or to come each week, uh, just send me an email at lisa at branchliving.com or you can message me through Facebook. So once again, friends, stay close to God, stay in touch, and I will chat with you again soon.